first issues that has to be dealt with when you first get here is kind of this issue of surrender. And so as you as you come in, that's one of the battles that's going on. All at once, it's like, uh, you know, you thought your parents used to be pushy. But, you know, all at once you get here and, you know, you got RAs looking over your shoulder and you got, you know, this thing and that thing happening and you're kind of being pushed from all these uh, different directions and and it's like it's like man am I gonna when I when I first came here it was during um, what was the uh, uh, it was called the Jesus movement and uh, a lot of hippies you know you I'm sure you've seen pictures of hippies from uh, from the 70s uh, that uh, that were getting saved a bunch of people were getting saved all over the place I mean people used to get saved. I was just like crazy and uh, and so I had long hair, you know. It's hard to envision. I know right now, but it was really there, long hair, and and I had, uh, you know, you know, I was just like a hippie, you know, bell bottom trousers, and you know, just the whole nine yards. And uh, and I came here, and in those days, they they had like you know facial hair. See, these guys got a little bit none of that off. Get off, cut the face of that off, you know. Uh, you had, uh, you know, you, you had long hair. Forget that. There was like, uh, like they wanted you to have a short haircut. You know, you, you had. It, it was like, it was like in your face. You know. And then when I got here, particularly me, now I'm talking about. Um, I had. Uh, there was a couple things that led into it, but they actually weren't going to let me in. Uh, because I, uh, I had been accused of doing something bad before I got here, and uh, and so. I, but I really felt the Lord told me I was supposed to come anyway, so I came to school. So they didn't really have a place for me, you know. They and and so when I got here, they ended up putting me in this dorm. I think maybe they kind of just opened the door because there had been a big expansion. It was Failing Hall at the time, and the building hadn't really been being used and things like that. And things were in that great a shape. Things have not changed much, have they, in the last few years? But, yes, but things were not in that great a shape. I can remember one of my first mornings. Uh, it was uh, things had started to get hot, you know, or, or excuse me, cold outside, and they were turning the heat on, and something must have been wrong with my heater, and the heater uh, spewed water out so that when I woke up in the morning and put my feet on the carpet, the carpet was soaking wet. Everything was wet, you know, there. And then I walked to my dresser. It was like an old dresser. It must have been around the Civil War or something. You know, I walked over to my dresser, and I, I pulled out the drawer, and the bottom of my drawer fell out, and all my underwear went into the wet stuff on the floor, you know. <laughs> You're taking too much joy out of this. But, and, and I was just like, I was just like, what in the world am I doing here? They want to cut my hair. My underwear is wet. I'm, you know, I'm, I, I just, you know, I just, what am I? And, and I can remember it was. It was late one night, and I was coming by the tabernacle right where we are right now, and I came in, and the place was all dark. There was nobody here, and I just walked up to the front of the tabernacle, and God was just dealing with me. just said, okay, okay, I don't care what they ask me. They want me to shave my head, I will shave my head. They want me to sleep in a garbage can, I will sleep in a garbage can. They want me to, whatever they want. Lord, I, I know you called me here. I know you wanted me here. So whatever it takes, Lord, I'm in. 
whatever it takes, I'm in. I just, and I just wept right at this altar and just, just yielded my life over to the Lord. I just said, whatever it takes, I don't care what the price is, I don't care what the cost is. And that's happening in you right now. That little scene I described right there, it will play itself out in your life differently than it played itself out in mine. But there's nobody who stays here that doesn't have a moment like that. Where they finally just say, okay, I'm not in charge anymore. And God told me to be here. And if God wants me here, I'm going to do whatever it takes. No one's going to be able to make me leave. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'll make whatever sacrifices I need to make. I'll do whatever. I'm not going to say, you know, can you adjust this rule? Can you change this? Can you do that? I will do whatever it takes. And just give yourself over to the purpose of God. Well, we're here today. This chapel is what we call the President's Chapel every Tuesday. It's my one time, because I don't get to see you in classrooms or anything else like that, but it's my one time to kind of impart to you. So every Tuesday I will come, and I work hard. Every Tuesday you'll see when I'm here, I don't, I don't just, it's not just a slapdash kind of thing. I come in, I work very hard every Tuesday to be able to give you something. I'm trying to, it's, it's not just imparting knowledge, though I'm going to work at that. You got a little note-taking guide when you came in, and almost every week you'll get something like that. But it's not just imparting knowledge, but I believe that I have it. And I believe the, the board of directors of the school think I have it. They put me in. And I want to give you it. How many of you want it? Okay. And if you have that in your heart, if there's something inside of you that wants it, whatever it is, Right? I want it, Lord. But there's something in you that wants that. I will come every Tuesday and, you know, with my heart full and with a commitment to give you everything I can do in that kind of way. Now, one of the challenges is the only time I have a chance to interact most of the time with students, um, barring two things, either you do something really good or you do something really bad. The only time I get a chance to interact a lot of times is in, is in this. So it's, I don't see your names written down. Also, so, so it but never underestimate me when it comes to knowing what's going on, okay? Because everybody reports to me, right? Everybody talks to me. Everybody tells me the, what's happening in the dean's office. I get reports from the faculty and what's happening with all faculty and what's going on and stuff like this. And... Um, uh, I, I'm, a lot of times I may not have your name, but I know other things. I know you, and I'll go, okay, 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 okay. I, I know what's going on, right, see? And, and, and I'm praying for you and believing for you for great, great things to happen in your life. And I believe great things are going to happen. Uh, I believe you're going to get it, not because you're worthy of it, not because you're uh, some kind of super person or anything else, but I think if your heart is hungry and you're open, you're going to receive it. Well, I want to talk to you. Uh, I'm actually, for the next several weeks, I'm going to do this, maybe five or six weeks. We're going to talk on the subject of vision. You know, vision starts, you might say, uh, when you think of, you know, a lot, this issue of vision can be, can be a little confusing because a lot of us have this kind of image that, when a person gets a vision, they kind of fall into a trance, and then they see, uh, you know, some, some kind of uh, holographic projection sent from the Lord, and, uh, and then they, you know, 
know what to do then from that kind of situation. So, so you have that kind of that, that kind of sense. But that's not what I'm going to talk to you about, it falling into a trance or any of that kind of stuff. I'm going to talk to you about the way vision really works. I'm going to show it to you in the Bible. It's not just an experience, though experiences like that do happen, just like people hear the voice of God audibly. and just you know, There, there are ex- wonderful experiences like that, but that's not the common way it happens. But I'm going to talk to you about how does vision happen in the heart of a person. And the way vision happens, basically, the, the central ingredient to this is we are where we are. This is where I am. And then over there somewhere is where I ought to be. Right? So here I am, and here is where I ought to be. If I were to say to some of you right now, uh, do you have a vision for your life? You would say, I have, no, I have no vision for my life. As a matter of fact, that was one of the reasons I came here. I hoped you guys would do something for me. Because I, no, I have no vision for my life, right, where it's going, right? And, and, and so, so, so here I am. Here, you know, here I am. This is where I am. But where ought I to be? Where, where, where ought I to be? Or where should the church be? Or where should the ministry I lead be? Or where should the... Here's where we are, but here's where we ought to be. That picture, where we ought to be, is vision. That's what vision is. God, sh- I'm going to show you how this unfolds. We're going to look at how vision starts today. But where we ought to be, not where we are right now, but where we ought to be. And then when I begin to build a bridge between where I am right now and where I ought to be, that's planning. That's what planning is. We begin to build a bridge from where we are to where we ought to be. And then ultimately our goal is to move from where we are to where we ought to be. Every, you know, when I am here at Elam, I have a, a vision, right? I have a vision in my heart. It comes from my own experience. I came here uh, you know, from a really messed up kind of background in life and things like that. And basically, when I came to Elam, my whole life was transformed. The three years I was here, it was like I was reparented. I don't know how to describe it to you other than to say like that. It was like I got taken from a very messed up, broken home. And very, and it was like all these values got built into me, all this, this dream of what my life could be. All this kind of stuff got put inside of me. And, and then I got released on the world when this thing was over with, and, and I had a sense of, whoa, okay, this is where, and everything that has come from my life, I can look and say this to you, everything that has come from my life, I've got kids in the ministry, and I've you know, been a chance to circle the world many times ministering, I've had a chance to start ministries and, and see organizations birth, I've had a chance to pour into many lives, I've had a chance to do fantastic, amazing things, but every bit of it, I can trace back to when I came to Elam. That's where the foundation was laid. That's where things were set up for me. That's where the change occurred. A lot of times when people talk about Elam and the three years of Elam, they call it uh, death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, those are the three years, right? So uh, you tell me what year you're in, and I can tell you what you're in for, right? Okay, <laughs> you know, death, burial, and and resurrection. But in that process for me, everything got turned around. Everything got turned around. And so that's what we want to do. We want to talk about how do we get from where we are to where we sense we're supposed to be and how do we begin to see that, all right? And we're going to start out looking at Nehemiah, all right? This is where we are in our in our notes. We're going to be taking the story of Nehemiah because Nehemiah gets this tremendous vision. He comes to Jerusalem with a vision to rebuild the wall. 
The Jews had been there for many years. They had had no security from their enemies because every time they would try and rebuild the wall, they would be, uh, they would be bullied by their neighbors. So, uh, you know, years before, the, the Jerusalem had been destroyed by Babylon. They had come and taken the people and relocated many of them. There was just a remnant left in the city of Jerusalem. And all of the enemies of Jerusalem, they, they were... If, if it looked like Jerusalem was beginning to reform in any kind of a way, they would just attack them and go after them. They didn't want to see the walls rebuilt. They didn't want to see the temple rebuilt. At this time, the temple had been rebuilt, but they, they didn't want to see the temple. They didn't want to see any progress because they were concerned that this kingdom would be restored, this, this, uh, this Jerusalem and Israel and, and, and Judah. And they were concerned this was going to be restored, so they just would fight against it in every kind of way. So Nehemiah is off in Babylon. He's become like a cupbearer to the king in Babylon, and he gets visited by his family. So look at Nehemiah chapter 1, and we'll see how this starts. It says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital. He's, give, he's giving us, it's like a first-person story, okay? Did everybody get, I'm seeing people hand around, does everybody hand, have a handout that wants one? One of the note-taking guys? Everybody have one that wants one? If you don't have one, just lift your hand up. The usher will help you out, okay? Okay, so you should pick those up on the way in. Uh, usually every week those will be there. And then, uh, and then we're looking at verse 2. It says, Then Hananiah, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. And now it came about when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Okay, so here is, here is Nehemiah. He's, he's, his life, he's, he's been brought to Babylon. He's begun to rebuild his life, basically. He's, he's made it to this position of prominence, the cupbearer for the king. His, his, you know, he's, he's, but he, he gets news from his brother who has just been back in Jerusalem, and he tells him the place is desolate, the gates are burned down, the walls are knocked down, people live in constant insecurity, they have no sense of, of the blessing of God and all this kind of stuff. And when he hears this, he gets deeply moved because he says this is not, in himself, he goes, this is not the way things ought to be in Jerusalem. It should be different. He know he can feel it intuitively. This is not the way it should be, right? Something has got to change. It cannot be like this. And he begins to, to just weep and break and come before the Lord. Okay, a couple insights I want you to see. Number one, vision starts with a conviction about how things ought to be. Nehemiah had a dream of how things should be in Jerusalem. The walls are strong. The people are safe to worship. You know, we've, we've heard this idea of having a dream. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream. Remember, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. 
I have a dream that one day, out of the red hills of, Missis, of, of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by their character. I have a dream today. See, that's a vision. He, he was in a situation, and he said, I see the way it is. He said, but this is not the way it ought to be. If I, you remember the scripture, this verse, you very, verse you really, you've heard many times, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, what? So, okay, so what, what he's praying is he's saying this. So he says, I look at what the state of racial, uh, 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 racial issues at this season, at this time, he's, as Martin Luther King is talking about, and he says, he says and I, if I were to pray that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it would not look like this. It would look like this. See, and that's the vision. What? Does it, what would it look like if God had his perfect way in whatever it is that the Lord is, you know, you can talk about your own life personally. If God had his perfect way five years from now, what would it look like? Many of you have a real awareness that if you keep going the way you're going today, that is, if you keep doing the things you're doing today and keep uh, the, the behaviors that you have and the act and the approach to life that you have and the attitudes that you have, if you keep doing what you're doing today, five years from now, you're going, this is not going to look good. This is a mess, right? But when I say, no, I'm going to, I, I, I'm going to, I, 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 I see something different for the future. I have a dream, right? That is that's what we're talking about. You need to have a dream of how things should be. And it's in every area of your life, in your family. You know, I had a dream for my family. Some of the issues in my dream for my family is that my wife and I will have the central relationship in our family. That was, you know, I, I, I see my wife and I are the sun and the moon and and, and my children are like little orbiting planets. Some of them are like little comets, kind of zipping way out and coming back in, you know. They're like little, you know, someday they're going to go away. But my wife and I, we're always going to be together. I would tell my kids when they were little, I would say to them, don't ever put yourself between me and your mother. I said, don't do that. I said, because if it's a choice between you or your mother, you don't have a chance. You, you know, she, her and I are going to be together forever. You are like, you're just in and out here for a little while. <laughs> right? So now, I, you know, so that was like part of my dream for my family, that my wife and I will have the central relationship in our family. I, 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 another dream I had was that our children will not only respect us, they will deeply believe we are on their side. I just didn't want their respect. I wanted them to feel and to know how deeply committed to them. That our family will have the resources necessary to care for our basic needs. We had a dream that our family would be debt-free. That our family will have wonderful memories of shared experiences. This is, this is part of our dream for our family, see? It's not the way things were, but it was the way things ought to be. 
and we were going to work to move from where we were to what God's vision was for our family as we understood it, as he was able to make it clear to us. God, see, this is the same thing. Every, you know, some of you sit here and you think to yourself, well, vision is for like certain, you know, vision is for, you know, people who are like big shots and, you know, the really high-powered uh, spiritual giants. They have vision, but, I, you know, I don't have a vision. I'm just kind of like puttering along here in life, you know. I'm a ghost, I mean, a, a dust bunny of life. You know, uh, you know what a dust bunny is? It's that little thing that kind of gathers under your bed, you know, when you don't clean, and you get a little, you know, just kind of, kind of floats around. If you walk by it, it kind of trails you, you know, kind of goes with you, because it has no purpose of its own. It just wants to, you know, it just sits there. So if you're going by, it'll hook right onto you, go with you, you know. See, some of you feel like that. You're like a dust bunny in life. You have no sense that you've got a call or purpose. But the truth is, you have the same power of vision that every person has in this place. It's not for special people. It's for all of God's people. And it's what he wants to impart into your life and what he wants to do for you. So you need to have a dream of how things should look in your life. You know, as a pastor... I'd be counseling a couple, you know, a couple would come to me that wanted to get married, you know, and I'd be doing premarital counseling with them. And I would say, I would say, well, tell me, I said, tell me your vision for your marriage. And they would look at me and they would say, well, we don't really have a vision for our marriage. And I said, I'll bet you do. And they go, no, really, we don't have a vision for our marriage. You know, we just, you know, kind of see ourselves getting married here and stuff. I said, so you're kind of like planning on getting married, maybe getting divorced in three years having a kid, having things kind of, you know, go wrong with your kid, and maybe they grow up and become real rebellious, real nag, and, the, and they would look at me and go, no, no, no. And I'd say, well, okay, well, are you going to get divorced? No, we're not going to get divorced. What are you going to do? Well, no, we're going to be, we're going to marry, we're marrying our whole life long. I tell you, point number one for the vision. You have a dream, right? And your dream is we're going to do this thing for our whole life long. You see, every one of you has a vision. You just don't know, you don't know how to mine it yet out of your heart. And we're going to help you to be able to get a hold of that and to be able to mine it. Real vision calls us to action. A person who dreams but doesn't do is a dreamer. A person who does but doesn't dream is a drudge. A person who dreams and does is a visionary. Okay, So a person who dreams and doesn't do is a dreamer. A person who does but doesn't dream is a drudge. But a person who dreams and does is a visionary. And that's what God wants you to be. That's what he's, he's going to be imparting into you. Okay, in your notes, too, second point I want to make to you out of that little section we looked at is this. Vision is often birthed in an atmosphere of distress. This is most commonly the way vision happens. Vision is birthed in an atmosphere of distress. It's when I see needs that I begin to dream of something better. If I have insulated myself from the needs around me, I will not be a visionary. Okay? So what are some of the needs that you see? You know, years ago, uh, I was at my senior ministry here at Elam, and I went to Brockport, New York, to work in a church that had a ministry uh, on the campus at Brockport State College nearby here. And I was there for six weeks. And while I was there on that campus, I was working with college students, reaching out to college students there at the Brockport State Camp. And I began to see just the mess that was there on this campus. There were ministries that were on many campuses in New York State at that time, but none of them were charismatic 
There was no ministries where people were worshiping and singing in the spirit and, you know, dancing before the Lord or anything like that. That was all considered like way out there. There was no ministries where people were being ministered the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here they were in this horrendous circumstance and situation. They didn't have all the power of the spirit and stuff. And so as I was on that campus for six weeks, God gave me a dream. He, 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 he spoke to me first. He said, he said, the campus needs the church. And, and then he said to me, he, he said, I, I want to do a Pentecost on college campuses. And, and so God began to stir something in my heart. Now, here we are 40 years later. How many of you uh, had any, were touched at all by basic, basic college ministry? Some of you have been, okay. That was started 40 years ago. 40 years later, right, basic is touching all kinds of campuses, reaching all kinds of people, doing all these different things. That all started with me in Oswego State College uh, because I, when I left here, I went to Oswego and I said, okay, I, I want to see if I could do something for these students. The students who I, because I was in the middle of the need when I was in my senior ministry, something came inside me and I said, it ought not to be like this. Well, what should it be like? And, and so I said, okay, what should it be like? Every campus should have a powerful move of the Holy Spirit, a Pentecost on the college campus. Every campus should be related to the local church so people, students are learning how to relate to real people and real communities and real connections. And every campus, they should be speaking in other tongues and learning how to prophesy and, and getting everything I got at Elam without all the great Bible training and stuff like that, but getting some fantastic experiences in the Lord during their college years so that they could go on from there and, and make an impact for the Lord. And and all these 40 years, that whole thing, but it all began in the middle of an atmosphere of need. See, if you insulate yourself from the need, you won't ever have a vision, right? you got to see the need. And this is for you, for you yourself, right? If you have blinded yourself to the need in your own life, if you don't see that you're poor and blind and naked, you're never going to have a vision for what you should be. You're going to think, oh, okay, I'm okay just the way I am. You know, I mean, I'm not as bad as as him, and I'm not as good as him, but I'm, I'm pretty much in, in pretty good shape, right? It's only when you really see, I'm not in good shape. Something's got to change. So that's when you begin to see what ought to be, right? I don't want to be the way I am right now. I want to be something different. I want to change. I want things to move forward. You can't see it. If you think that everything's going good right now, you'll never be able to see it. Around you are all kinds of things happening all the time. You know, right now, for example, we, you, there, there might be international students that are here on campus. You all Think of all the disorientation you're going through, what they might be going through in terms of eating food that they haven't had to eat before or other kinds of situations that they may find themselves in. How are you going out of your way to reach out? You know, when you're looking around and you see somebody in need here on campus, uh, you look at somebody and say, that person doesn't look very happy. You know, they seem like they're isolating themselves. They seem like they're poor. What are you doing to build a bridge? It's only when you're connected to need that you can see vision. And that vision then becomes the thing that w begins to influence the whole rest of your life and everything that begins to happen. Because you don't want to stay where you are. You want to move from where you are to where things ought to be. See, where things ought to be is the vision. And I could tell you story after story of ministries and different kinds of things that have been birthed, but it all comes out of being exposed to need. Okay, number three. Vision comes to those who want to care for and help people. 
When you are troubled by the needs of others, your heart opens up to vision. Compassion is the key. Concern with action. That's what compassion is. It's concern with action. Webster defines compassion as the sympathetic awareness of another's distress with a desire to alleviate that distress. Okay, so compassion, compassion isn't just me going, oh, I empathize with you. You know, you got problems. Oh, I feel, you know, I feel. That's not, that's empathy, right? Compassion is, I feel your pain, and now I'm going to step into this situation with you, and we're going to move to a place where there is no pain. You with me? That's what compassion is. See, it's, a di- it's different. It's not just empathy. It's not just I feel what somebody else is feeling or I look at the situation, I know that situation's not right. They shouldn't be treating that person that way. or this. That, that, that's empathy. But compassion is when I go, you know what? This is not right, and I'm not stopping. I'm not leaving you here. I'm not leaving you where you are. That's, that's what, and, and the Bible is full of compassion. God has compassion. The Bible tells us toward us. Your compassion is great, O Lord. Our God is full of compassion. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on us. Jesus has compassion. When he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. With compassion, Jesus reached out his hand to heal. And we are called to compassion. The Bible says, clothe yourself with compassion. Be kind and compassionate to one another. We clothe ourselves in it. it, it it's, we, it's something we have to do. You know, is there anybody who needs compassion in your life right now? Is there anybody that, not, not just you sensing there is a need, but allowing your heart to be filled with compassion. The God has compassion, Jesus has compassion, and he wants you to have compassion. The compassion that says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step into this situation Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, I'm just not going to pray that prayer, but I'm saying to you, I will be the answer to that prayer. It's not, it's not enough for me to look at these college students and realize they're messed up. I'm gonna, I am going to go there. I'm going to live among them. I'm going to work with them. I'm going to help them. I was messed up, and you helped me, and I want to go help them, and I, I want to alleviate their pain. I want to see something change in this situation. See, that's compassion. This is what happened to Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes, he goes, what? The walls are torn down. They're living in distress. They're living in insecurity. They're, they're under just tremendous pain. And, 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 and he feels compassion. And he can't even control himself. He begins to weep. They can't be left like that. And he begins to formulate a plan that he's going to go to the head of Babylon and risk his life. We're going to see it as we look at further weeks here. He's going to risk his life to put himself in as part of the answer to the situation. God wants to birth vision inside of you. But but you've got to offer yourself and say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm yours. Wherever you tell me to go, I'll go. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. Lord, I give myself over to you. I'm through living my life for my wants and my needs and my desires and my way of, of, 
Lord, I, 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 I want to give myself. Fill me with compassion. Fill me with compassion, Lord. My world has been so centered around myself. Fill me with compassion. Put something inside of me that I can't stop. You know, I remember as a pastor going, you know, at the hospitals, they have these waiting rooms where every day, I think this is happening every single day, every day there's a waiting room where families go in that don't know God and their child or father or mother, their loved one is having open heart surgery or cancer surgery or some other, and they, and they are sitting waiting in that room. Will they come out alive? Will something happen? Every day, hundreds of people sitting in waiting rooms right now with the total just what, you know, what's going to happen? What's the future hold? What's going to happen? Every day, right now, right? See, what happens is you say to yourself, wow, wouldn't it be great if there was somebody there? Wouldn't it be great if somebody just went into the waiting rooms and just went around and said, What's happening in your situation? Oh, my wife is doing that. Would you like us to pray for you? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? What if it wasn't just in one hospital, but in all the hospitals in the region? Could that be coordinated? Could something like that be organized? Could, could, it, could, could, could we work together in such a way that it might be possible that there would never be a person whose, life, whose family was in life jeopardy that didn't have somebody to pray with them? See, that's how it happens. See, you, you see something, and you say, that's not the way it ought to be. And then you begin to say, what could we do to make this thing happen? And, and all at once, the vision begins to be fulfilled in a ministry. But it begins with compassion, the willingness to alleviate the need for you yourself to give yourself. Now, here's the, here's the reality. We can't do that about every need. Every need out there, I mean, there, the, I just described to you one situation that you may not have even have thought about, right? But there's, this stuff is going on all over the place. Don't ever say you don't have a vision. You just haven't been exposed to the need. You haven't been exposed to the need. You haven't allowed your heart to be filled with compassion, right? And begun to work towards something different than what you have right now. Okay, let's all stand to our feet. Can we do that? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Well, before we're going to be able to help anybody else, we need help ourselves. And as you're here today, maybe you have a, a realization. You just say to yourself, I, I've got to get a clearer picture of the way things ought to be. That's going to happen for you every day as you're in the Word and you're rubbing shoulders with other people. And and I got to forget about myself. I can't be filled with self-pity. You know, I wish I'd grown up in that guy's home. My home was so screwed up. You know, I, 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 you can't be filled with self-pity. You can't be filled with all these different things. You, you just have to say, you just have to say, Lord, I just want to offer myself afresh to you today. Fill me with your compassion and begin to give me a vision, Lord, a vision for my life. Fill me with your compassion. If that's your cry today, just lift both your hands in the air right now. I just want to pray for you. 
I'm just going to pray for a, just, a, just an outpouring right now. Lord, all around the room, people's hands are lifted as a humble confession that they, they want a clarity of vision, new, new realities, Lord, to become clear for them. And, Lord, I just ask right now, God, for you to fill every open heart right now that there would be a prayer that would be just be, they would wake up with it burning on their lips and that would be in their mind at night. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let me just be a part of it, God. Lord, I ask you to fill them with compassion. Fill them with the confidence that if God be for me, who can be against me? That if God wants me to accomplish it, it can happen. That God can use me, even though I don't know everything and I don't have all that. God can still use me to do it. Lord, I just ask right now in this place, Lord, for something to be birthed that maybe we'll look back on years and years from now and we'll say, you know, I prayed a prayer in a chapel there at Elam and, and from that day on, my life became different. It was, it was turned in a different direction. We thank you for it right now, God. Fill our hearts in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great lunch. Bless you.